this is where men and women have very different mentalities and very different strategies, right? Women in general, like just naturally are in a state of abundance, right? For women, it's about like, how the fuck do I filter all of this dick out of my inbox <laughs> so I can find somebody who is actually like a quality guy that I'd want to be with? Yeah, yeah. Whereas guys, you know, the average guy is not in a place of abundance and choice really at all. Like the average guy is like scraping to just get just the one date. So the more I can get him into that, that sort of abundant state close to where a woman would be, the more he can also appreciate and understand a woman's perspective. And also the, the less likely he will be to start engaging in those people-pleasing behaviors. Heartbreakers, happy Sunday. So today I have a guest on who is discussing something that I've never really talked about on the podcast. I'm interviewing Ryan Black, and he's currently a dating coach with his own business. But prior to starting that, he was a member of the pickup artist community. And I kind of like get really awkward when I'm transitioning to that topic. When I interview him, I knew I was awkward because I was like fumbling over my words in an attempt to be overly sensitive to the fact that like, I know he doesn't want to be affiliated with that. Understandably, it's like pretty insidious. And some of the things that he mentions will demonstrate that. But yeah, I mean, this was definitely something that was in his past, but it was fascinating to hear all of the insight into the strategies that they employ, the mindset of these guys. It is just really gross. But at the same time, I mean, I also didn't really think about the fact that these are deeply insecure people. And it's honestly very sad when you think about it. And I think for anyone who thinks like, oh, well, like that's not really as prevalent and I've never really encountered that. I feel like it's just kind of evolved to kind of meet the needs of modern dating. I think too, like, you know, when you get those dating profiles that are so negative, and I feel like people will post memes of this on dating accounts all the time where someone's like, you're probably not that interesting, but like, try to prove me wrong. Or like, I only swipe on like nines or above. So if I swipe right on you, consider yourself lucky. And I feel like it's just kind of a way to tear other people down and make them think like, oh, I'm actually lucky if this person decides to talk to me and give me the time of day versus just seeing it as it is, where it's like, I don't know this person. They're a stranger. I might like them. I might not. They might like me. They might not. And going from there, it's just a weird power dynamic. And so I feel like it's alive and well. Fascinating to hear about like the really, really deep levels of it. I will say that probably around like an hour and five minutes, definite trigger warning because it gets kind of dark. Like we talk about what can happen when these pickup artists go full incel and it gets to a really toxic place. I will try to remember to put the timestamp in the description because obviously I'm going to edit it. So I don't know exactly where it will fall after all is said and done, but just wanted to call that out. And hopefully this episode can be, I think it's really inspirational because we have someone who was deep in this community, didn't work for him. But instead of going towards the toxic, he found a way to kind of pivot towards positivity and to focus on building up that confidence rather than 
sinking further into that self-loathing. So yeah, definitely an interesting discussion. I would love to hear your thoughts because it is so different than any discussion that I have aired before. So hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak. So today I am really excited to introduce a guest who has an amazing set of credentials behind his name. I have Ryan Black. He has a philosophy of science degree as well as a graduate diploma in law. And we get the pleasure of having him apply these educational backgrounds to his dating coach experience. And he's been an international dating coach since 2011. So I'm really fascinated to hear over a decade plus worth of insights. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks very much for having me. Yes, definitely excited to hear your perspective because, you know, being on a dating podcast, I feel like a lot of my guests are female. And so it's great to get the female perspective of their approach to dating, their experiences with dating, but love to hear a male's perspective in terms of maybe some past troubles, as well as just some insights into how males think about dating and how they approach it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely two different worlds. And so being able to bridge that gap and be able to communicate to the other side is a, a valuable skill, especially these days where more and more people are increasingly socially anxious as we've all spent the last two years being forced to be inside. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So to give the listeners a little bit of background, so if you are an astute listener, you may notice a bit of an accent. So can you share where you're from as well as how long you've lived in LA? Yeah. So as you might be able to tell from my accent, I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> um, Clearly. That is actually true. But I grew up in London. Oh my gosh. I grew up in London to two American parents. New Yorkers living in London. And then I went to University of Pennsylvania and I moved to LA about two years ago to live with my girlfriend. Right, literally arrived on the last plane from Europe before they shut down flights. Wow, such timing. Both fortunate and unfortunate, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, it's, it's lucky we actually get on. So the last couple of years was very, very enjoyable. So. Yeah. Okay. That's definitely a sign. You know, if you can make it through a pandemic with someone, you can make it through quite a few things. So, so I would love to hear a little bit of background about your dating experience and kind of before you entered the dating space from a professional standpoint, what was your dating experience like? What were some of the issues that you kind of encountered? How did it inspire you to enter this world of dating? Yeah. Well, it might seem like I would never possibly have a problem with uh, dating, but in fact, that was not the case at all. I spent most of my life all the way through till the age of 19, basically having a lot of severe social anxiety, especially around girls and uh, women that I found attractive. And I often say there's sort of the difference between a guy who needs this kind of stuff and, and looks into it and a guy who just never really worries about getting a date can often be just like one childhood experience, right? So in one reality, one guy, he asked the girl to the prom or whatever, the junior prom, and she's like, yeah, okay. And he's like, oh, it's easy. You just ask a girl and she says yes, and that's fine. And he just never has to worry about it ever again. <laughs> and same guy, just different reality. He's like, oh, you know, you want to go to the prom? And she's like, ew, no, you're gross. And then just for the rest of his life, like that just starts off with like, oh my God, what did I say wrong? Like, why doesn't she like me? Am I not good enough? Like, oh my God. And so that experience for me uh, was about 11 or 12 and there was this girl that I sort of liked, and I didn't really know how to communicate that. The only sort of context I had for anything to do with romance was like Disney movies, like Aladdin or whatever, right? So I'm like trying to paint her some 
picture of like, oh, we're going to like live in a castle Aww. and you're going to be my queen. And yeah, I think I thought it was sweet yeah. too. Exactly. Come on. And so I was like, oh, come on a white horse or whatever. It'll be magical. And so I'm trying to sort of say the stuff. And then I see her face got him go to like, oh, this like, what's going on here? <laughs> and then she's like realizing like, oh, he likes. And then she's like, oh my God. And then it went to like disgust. Oh. And then she just ended up, she ended up just like tearing up and crying and running out of the room. <gasps> Wow. So that was my, that was attempt one for me. And so I think what that taught me, it had a, a deep psychological traumatic impact on me that I'm still dealing with to this day. Um, but no, but um, what it taught me was basically like, if you have these feelings, then the worst thing you can do is express them, right? Because then all these horrible things happen. So just hide them away and just pretend it's not there and don't ever tell anybody that you like a girl ever because then it's just the most horrible thing happens. And I think a lot of guys, especially these days over the past you know, decade or so, society has shifted to a place where between society, school, perfectly well-meaning parents and teachers and religion, there's this social pressure on guys where it's like your natural romantic desire for a woman is morally wrong mm -hmm. and evil yeah. and bad, and you should feel ashamed for it. And that's something that, that I had for a very, very long time and was able to kind of cure for myself and is something that I help a lot of guys with because it's like you can give somebody all the right, like, oh, here's a cool thing to say or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if deep down you believe yourself to be this like unworthy person whose like sexual desire is like wrong or evil, then it doesn't matter what you say, like the way that you come off will just come off wrong. <laughs> Okay. You said so many amazing things there. First of all, that is such a crazy first experience. And I love that you were able to identify the impact that that had on you because it is crazy how much a childhood encounter can shape the way that you think about yourself, can shape the way you think about your confidence doing a certain type of activity. And that is such a dramatic response that I can't imagine anyone just like brushing it off when you're at such a impressionable age, honestly, like 11 and 12, a lot of people aren't even approaching girls at that point. So the fact that you put yourself out there, and then that was the response, of course, that's going to have an impact. And also the fact that you say that there is a lot of shame built into our society around sexual desires, that in itself could be a whole other discussion. But I do think that's something that people need to overcome. Because to your point, if you're trying to be somebody who you're not, and you haven't done the internal work to overcome that, it's really going to be weird. And I feel like that's when people come across as creepy because they're trying to put on this persona that is just so not them. And people can pick up on that even if they don't know exactly what it is. That's a great point that I tell guys all the time. And it's great to hear you say that because what I often say is I'm basically guiding them through just expressing, hey, you know, I like you. I'd want to get to know you. Right. Mm -hmm. And even that they're like, oh, but I don't want to be creepy. And I'm like, listen, when a woman reports that felt creepy, what she's sensing, because women are much more perceptive on average than men are around these things. What she's sensing is an incongruence between your intent, your desire, how you're subcommunicating, and the words that you're saying. Yeah. And when women sense that, they go like, there's something off with this guy. And then that when they're doing techniques and things, then that's when they're like, oh, like she's like shit testing me. But it's just like, as a woman, you're just like, I have to poke just to make sure like, is this guy for real? Or is he just saying some line, but he doesn't really believe it? Yes. Right? Like it can never be creepy to just authentically express yourself. Yeah. What's creepy is when you're saying a bunch of shit that you don't actually feel or mean. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I love that you transitioned kind of for us by bringing up the shit testing, because I know that's like a big part of 
the talking points within the pickup artist community. And I know that you had some, you know, not, I don't want to say experience because we want to really clarify for the audience that you yourself are not a pickup artist, but you did kind of like, I don't know, to say explore. I can tell the story. So then you don't have to say it, but yeah. So entering university, uh, I was still a virgin and I awkwardly fumbled my way into a, a relationship with basically the first girl that ever showed me really any, any interest at all. And we were like awkward. I don't know if you had this experience, like that kind of teenage where you're like, oh, we're just friends, but it's like, we both sort of have feelings, but we don't know what to do. And it's awkward. So it was that for like months. And all the people that knew us were like, guys, can you just fucking hook up already? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And then my buddy gave me the, like the first like dating tip ever. Cause I was like, I don't know if she likes me. Like, like we've been hanging out like every day for three months. I'm like, I don't know if Who she knows? likes me like that. Like <laughs> there's no way to tell. It's like <laughs> no, women are such a mystery, you know? And so he was like, dude, this dude, this is what you got to do, bro. He didn't even speak like that. Oh but, my God. But, <laughs> it paints a clear picture though. But whatever. He's like, yeah, it's like that kind of guy. He's like, dude, what you got to do, right? Next time you guys are hanging out at the end of the night, say goodbye to her and kiss her on the head, like kiss her here, just give her a little peck. And if she like smiles, then that means she likes you. I was what? like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so next time we were hang out, I did that and she smiled and I was like, oh my God, yes. Mm -hmm. So then I eventually asked her out on an actual date and then we actually ended up being together. Mm -hmm. And I was basically with this girl through the whole of university. Wow. Was that because she was like the most perfect, amazing like everything I've ever wanted in a human being and like my soulmate? No, it was because she was the only girl that ever showed me any interest. Mm. And so, especially as we're approaching the end of university, right? It's like, we're going to be graduating now. And I was like talking to a college roommate at the time with this dilemma. I was like, well, am I settling? Like, mm. could I do better? Right. And then it, one and a half of me was like, maybe you know, statistically, statistically on the one hand, Maybe there's more than one woman on the whole of planet Earth that might be interested in me, maybe. <laughs> but statistically, on the other hand, you have absolutely no experience to prove that that mm. is true. Yeah, yeah. So, and he was like, I have the solution for you. And the next day, he brought me a copy of what looked like a leather-bound Bible. <laughs> and I opened it up, and it was Neil Strauss's The Game, which had wow. just been published in 2005. Mm -hmm. And so I skimmed through this, and I'm like, oh, my God psychological techniques I can use to get women to want to sleep with me, regardless of how unattractive and how much of a loser I am. Perfect. <laughs> this is just what I need. And so I was like all sold on this. And then, then a couple of days later, he was like, there's a party down the road. So, and I was like, we can use the things from the book. <laughs> and so we go to this party and there's a bunch of girls there and we're talking to this girl and we're like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, Oh, are you guys in that frat from around the corner? And we didn't like that frat. So we looked at each other because there's a thing in the book mm. where if someone says something you don't like, you pretend as if you're going to leave. Oh, wow. So we're like, we look at each other like, do the thing. And then we both go to leave and she goes, no, come back. And I was like, oh my God, it's working. <laughs> so that just sold me, especially because within like 20, 30 minutes of being at that party, suddenly I was surrounded by lots of cute girls who were all like looking at me and smiling at me and listening to what I was saying, which had never happened in my entire life ever. Yeah. So I was like, holy shit, this, there's something to this. And so towards the end of university, I ended up breaking up with, with that girl mm -hmm. and kind of went on this thing of like, okay, I've got the, the last year of university, which is in Philly. Then I was working for a year in New York. And then I went back to London to do that law degree. Mm -hmm. So I was in these like major cities, lots of single people like milling around. And 
yet despite learning all of this material that was supposedly gonna you know get me all these results for all those three years like i didn't have a girlfriend i didn't date i didn't get any results with it mm-hmm. and what i realized is going back to exactly what we were talking about about that incongruence is the vast majority of, of this material and this stuff serves only to make worse the very type of guy that needs it the most mm, and what i mean by that is for the a guy who's like he's okay like decent looking can have a conversation like fairly confident in most social situations or whatever but just like whatever hasn't gone on a date in a while or whatever mm-hmm. then it gives him some stuff to go try to just start conversations and then he's good but a guy who has like real social anxiety who just totally runs out his mouth goes dry like hands get sweaty, like heart races. And these in front of like an attractive woman, he's just like, like a deer in headlights has no mm-hmm. idea what to say. Mm-hmm. Well, the vast majority of this material is just like, it's basically like a video game. They phrase like, if this is a video game with 99 levels with no save, it's just like, you have to do all these things right and say all this stuff and say this thing. Cause then she'll think that, mm-hmm. and then she'll do this. And then you say that thing. And then you do this thing. And for the average guy, just like, I have to remember all this stuff to do. Right. Yeah. And every single one of those pieces of material, every single one of those things that he's been told to do is like, well, I'm the guru and I'm getting laid a lot. So you do what I say because my stuff works. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the more that you're doing that, what I realized by the end is like, every time I was going and I was saying something that some guy who's like alpha and whatever had like scripted for me to say, what was I saying about myself? Mm. What I was saying was every time I'm doing somebody else's thing is I'm not enough, Mm. right? Who I actually am is like so horrible that I have to put this facade over and pretend to be some other guy because, oh, that's an attractive guy. Mm, interesting. And it's the biggest con in the world. Men and women are both, to a large extent, kind of sold this lie mm-hmm. and taught this sort of philosophy and, and way of living where you have men's magazines and you flick through pages and it's like a sports car, bunch of girls on it, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's like a the celebrity with the designer suit and he looks all flashy and then the Rolex, right? And what's it saying? It's saying, unless you have these external markers of status, right? And of success, then you are unworthy. In Mm -hmm. order to be worthy enough to get that woman, you need to have that car and then you're good enough. Then you're okay. But until then, you're a worthless piece of shit. And to women, women's magazines are also similarly saying, unless you have this certain look and you've got the cheekbone thing with the thing to make your nose like this and all this stuff, mm-hmm. unless you've done all of these things and you look like this and you have the butt that looks like that, then you're not enough. Then you're not attractive. Then you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. So you need to change yourself into this mold of what society tells you you should be, and then you'll be okay. But who you really are, forget that. Right? It's saying us to both sides. And so then two people meet who are doing these things, and where the guy's like, oh, I have to pretend to be high status and alpha. <laughs> and the girl's going also as well, is going like, hide the crazy. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, pretend to be the type of girl that this guy probably wants. Mm-hmm. And we're all doing this thing of like imagining what the other person would want instead of just fucking being ourselves. Yeah. And it's like eventually the facade is going to fall. And another thing is that society is continuously changing the goalposts. At least I can only speak from the women's side. But I think about when I was a teenager and like the thing to be was like, model stick thin like have no curves it was like Paris Hilton's body was like the ideal body and now it's like okay well what if you've worked your whole life to get that and now it's like oh well actually like Kim Kardashian's body is the ideal body it's like you can never be enough for an infinite amount of time so I think what you said about 
really just internalizing that confidence and like learning that you are enough and it's not based on some arbitrary rule or standard that society has set. That's the only way that you can truly be happy with yourself and then exude that confidence. Yeah. And the the thing I would say is like, guys sort of put this pressure on themselves. They're like, oh, I have to become like attractive to like all women. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, impossible. (laughs) That's never going to happen. And it's an unrealistic goal to set yourself that, that you're basically deciding to be dissatisfied and unhappy with yourself, like for the rest of your life. And the fact is, is men and women both have types, mm-hmm. right? We have certain qualities and things that are important to us and certain things that are not that important to us. And, and that's okay. You don't need to be attractive to all women. You just have to find the one for whom you are her type. Mm-hmm. You are her 10. Yeah. Right. And then the ones that reject you because they're not that type, it's like, you have to be okay accepting that. Yeah. Like, why would you want someone who doesn't like you for you? The analogy I use is like from sales and marketing and stuff like that, right? Which is like a really good page online that's that people like, oh, this is doing really well is about 5%. About 5% of people that land on the page end up buying the thing. Mm -hmm. That means that as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, you have to accept that 95% of people will not be interested in buying your thing. If you got offended at that and were like, oh, everyone hates me, you're (laughs) not going to stay long in business, right? You have to have a bit of fortitude. And it's exactly the same thing with, with men and women. It's like, most people are not necessarily like you, right? I just, by accepting I'm not everyone's cup of tea, to use a British expression. Yes. <laughs> right? By being okay and just accepting that, no reaction can in any way phase me. It's not about like being confident necessarily. It's just about having what I call nonchalance, which is just a playful indifference. Not attaching your internal sense of well-being to whatever happens to happen externally, right? To me, that's the equivalent of like tying how you feel for the whole day, based on what the weather happens to be, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you're English, you're literally going to commit suicide, <laughs> right? So, yeah. and why? It's like, it's an external thing that happens to be the case. Why are you going to tie your emotional state to what is going on out there, mm-hmm. right? If you tie your emotional state and sense of well-being to who you are, the qualities that are important to you, that you value about yourself, then nobody can hurt your feelings. Nobody can reject you. Nobody can make you feel bad about yourself because it's like, well, I know I'm fucking awesome. Yeah. So if you don't see that, that's fine. Yeah. I have talked about this on the podcast before, but like I listen to Matthew Hussey and one thing that he talks about that I really love, same thing as what you're saying is just having core confidence. And I feel like it extends to everything. It can extend to dating to say, don't tie your self-worth into whether someone rejected you or not. It can extend to your job. Like don't make your whole identity your job. Like I've been laid off before. And if my whole identity were my job, I would have fallen into like a deep depression, you know? So it can be any little thing. You just have to realize that you are a full package and you're multifaceted and there's multiple things that you can rely on to kind of have your self-worth rather than just relying on this one thing that could go south at any moment for any number of reasons. Yeah, it's funny. Matt and I actually got started in the same London community at around the same time. Yeah, He used to work for a good friend of mine, Rich, over at PUA training actually, and he coached men. And then he switched to coach women. Oh my gosh. But yeah, he's gotten really successful. But yeah, him, me, a guy called Adam Lyons, who now lives in Austin as well, mm. all got started in this sort of community at roughly the same time. Wow. Okay. So from the same community, I feel like that is definitely a testament to your skill, your knowledge, like the amount of time you've been in this. And I wanted to go back to kind of your experience implementing the rules for the first time, because 
I'm like kind of familiar with the pickup artist community. Interestingly enough, I was actually like accidentally introduced to it when I was in college. And I feel like that's when I started becoming interested in the whole dating scene. And there wasn't as much social media. There was just like Facebook at the time, you know, there wasn't TikTok where people could be like posting a ton of dating content. Podcasts weren't a thing. So I found this blog and I was like, wow, this is unlike anything I've ever seen before. And it was run by a woman and it was called. And so I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like hookup culture was so huge in college that I was looking for anything to kind of help understand this thing. And a lot of the commenters and people within the community were males. And I didn't realize this at the time, but in hindsight, I'm like, a lot of these people were like either affiliated with the pickup artist community or really subscribed to a lot of the views within it. So I'm a bit familiar, but for anyone who's not as familiar with what exactly it means, I feel like it gets thrown out a lot without set definitions. Could you explain kind of what the tenets were and what the rules preached for you to do? Yeah, so the vast majority of the material that's out there is all based on one guy's thing, a guy called uh, Eric von Markovic, who was previously a stage magician and then learned a lot of this stuff just for himself and then started kind of cobbled together a system called the mystery method. and the vast majority of the stuff out there is somebody took like a course from him and then they made their own courses and then someone took a course from them and then they made their own courses and it's just all kind of been handed down or whatever, but it's pretty much all the same thing. And he drew from a lot of people. So uh, he had Ross Jeffries as a mentor who was using NLP to basically hypnotize women into sleeping with him. That's super rapey. Oh my God. And he called it speed seduction. And then he re read a lot of books of things like Seduction by Robert Greene, who also wrote The 48 Laws of Power. And fundamentally, one of the big things that I have against it is the core kind of premise is like from these books like Seduction, is it's treating the interaction like this sort of Machiavellian, sort of like Sun Tzu's art of war-like thing, where it's like, don't let your enemy know what your intent is and like indirectly go around and make them think this so that they don't know you're doing that. And it's like, <laughs> the girl you want to date is not your enemy yeah. that you need to deceive in order to get her to like want to have sex with you, bro. Like that's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really weird way of viewing it, but it's, it's ingrained into the language, right? So in the mystery method, right? The girl that you like is referred to as the target and her friend is referred to as the obstacle. So you approach the target and then disarm the obstacle. That's literally like what somebody who's in a war and is yeah. disarming a bomb would talk. Literally. So yeah, and the, the whole, like fundamentally the premise is this. It's coming from the place of, well, you're this like, you know, nerdy loser or whatever, and you're down here. And like, she's this beautiful, amazing girl. So she's up here, right? And so what you need to do is you need to raise your value by doing things called a display of higher value or DHV. So you need to tell those DHV stories about how cool you are, <laughs> right? And like how like, oh, I know the manager here or whatever. Oh my God. And then you need to neg her, which is to sort of slyly throw a little bit of a sort of an insult, like just a little, not like overly insult, but it's like a, throw a little bit of an insult, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, that dress is super cute. It's like something my little sister would wear, mm -hmm. right? That's class, right? Yeah. There's little things like that to make her sort of feel a little bit less good about herself. And then when you've equalized this value, so now you've proven that you're higher value than she is, then it's okay to actually express your intent and go to the next phase and, you know, try to isolate or whatever and, and seduce her. And so the issue with this is that, again, like a lot of these guys 
were getting you know bits and pieces of theory and material from different places. And then the, where they were going to practice was in high-end nightclubs in LA in the 90s. Now, I'm not saying that the women that were in those nightclubs in LA in the 90s aren't women. What I am saying, though, is it would be a dangerous thing to generalize those specific women at that specific time and that specific location's interactions to then generalize that universally to all women behave like this. Yeah, yeah. And to me, it's very clear because it's like there's this obsession in not only mystery method, but then like all later systems and stuff like that on this idea of value and status. It's like you have to be high value. You have to prove to her how high status you are, right? And it's like, you know, women are judging you based on all this stuff. And it's like, well, in a higher nightclub in LA, of course those women care about your status. <laughs> that doesn't mean that all women think like that. Mm-hmm. Or that's the most important thing to all women, is it? Like, it, that's so obvious. Like, the whole system is just based on basically super, super awesome way to, I guess, attract gold diggers if that's what you're looking for. And in general, women who have low self-esteem, right? Because yeah, like those things like negging and push-pull and all the rest of it, works super well on women who like will end up doubting themselves yes but all of this stuff universally does not work on exactly the type of woman that you'd want to have a relationship with which is a girl with high self-esteem who looks at this stupid neg thing and is like what the fuck are you doing like (laughs) yeah so that's a question i had because like as you're describing that i'm like oh my god i feel like i've everyone's met those people male or female who like just name drop they like try to make themselves seem cool i hate that so much like it turns me off immediately And so, yes, it is a very specific type of person. And so I wonder in the pickup artist community, is there like an explicit acknowledgement of the fact that like, A, they're probably just looking for women to sleep with, because I feel like to your point, you wouldn't necessarily treat someone like they're the enemy or like use war tactics if you're looking for a relationship. And B, is there an acknowledgement that like, maybe this is going to work on those women who have lower self-esteem or I don't know, might be looking for something that's more transient. No, there's zero recognition of either of those two things. Wow. And so this is, again, why the guy who needs this the most is just a guy who wants, like, a super cute, nice girlfriend to, like, cuddle with on the couch, watch Netflix, like, go to the market, like, cook together, and just, like, be cute together, whatever, who's, like, awesome and loves him for his actual self or his, like, Mm -hmm. kind of dorky self, whatever. And to, like, go out to a club, which he doesn't even want to be in, Mm -hmm. and have this like super high energy conversation where you can barely hear anybody <laughs> just to like isolate her and like pull her out. Like, like most guys who just want that was, it's like, if this is what it takes to get the result I want, like it's, this isn't worth it. Like yeah. this is too much. Yeah. This is forcing me to change myself so much into somebody that I'm not like, I don't want to be the guy at the table with bottle service. <laughs> like, woo, do shots. Like that's not me anyway. That's not what interests me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And like with all these steps and with all this material that you, that you have to do, it's taking a guy who already has a lot of a lot of insecurity and a lot of self-doubt and a lot of anxiety, and it's just layering more anxiety on top of it, right? Because yeah. they might go to one of these boot camps or whatever, and very often the, the instructors end up just like physically having to push guys into interactions because the guy comes and he's already like, oh, I'm worried about people rejecting me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, 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 don't worry. If you just say this stuff right, then you won't be rejected, <laughs> right? Which is a fucking lie. A hundred percent, yeah. Right. So already. And that's the thing with a lot of these guys. Right. Their entire method is based on lying to women. So why not just lie to your students? Like it doesn't. What's the difference? That's true. And the big sort of secret that nobody talks about is pretty much every guy who's an instructor who teaches men in like nightclub situations 
right? They'll always have this social proof and show themselves like in their marketing with like surrounded by girls. Mm-hmm. It's because they work as a club promoter. Uh- <laughs> oh my God. Wow. They're not having sex with those girls. They just yeah. brought those girls in because they're working as a club promoter. Yeah. And so wow. the method that they're teaching, it's like, is this how you're actually meeting women and dating women? No. Yeah. No, I'm surrounded by women because I'm a club promoter. And then they're not even sleeping with any of these chicks anyway. Right. But it looks like, oh, look, I get all these chicks. So buy my thing. That's mm-hmm. literally 95% of the, of the pickup. But anyway, so you take a guy and he's like, he goes to this experience, like buys his boot camp. And he's already like, oh, I'm really nervous about being rejected. And they're like, do do this stuff right. And then you won't be. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, shit, I have to remember all this stuff. Right. And then part of the stuff is like, you have to be like, you can't just be standing there. Mm-hmm. Right. Because then like you're losing value. So he's like looking around like, shit, I need oh to talk God. to somebody. Oh, what's the step one? Oh, fuck. And just makes it even, everything even worse. Like, yeah. that's not helping anybody. No. So, yeah. So the material and the work that I do comes from a completely different sort of realm. It comes from a completely different side. So. Uh, mystery when he was a magician was living in in toronto in canada and his one of his roommates at that time in the 90s was a comedian mm-hmm. and this comedian then left canada went to london to do comedy and, and some other things and kind of lost touch with eric who he knew as a failing stage magician mm-hmm. years later he's on a bus and he's talking to a couple of girls or whatever and he shows them this magic trick mm-hmm. And he gets off the bus and this guy comes up to him and he was like, oh, that was a cool trick you were showing those, those girls. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. My magician buddy, Eric, back in Canada, taught it to me like years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wait, Eric Von Markovic? <laughs> and he was like, how the fuck do you know my old college roommate failing magician Eric's <laughs> name, full mm-hmm. name? Yeah. Are you stalking? Like, what is happening right now? Yeah. And he's like, dude, do you not know? Like, Eric Von Markovic, a.k.a. Mystery is the world's most famous pickup artist. <laughs> and he just goes, Plot are you twist. fucking shitting me? Oh that loser? <laughs> oh my God. Are you kidding me? So he literally, he was like, cause he, like, he was a good comedian and he was like confident and funny on stage. But once he got off stage, he had the same kind of social anxiety and stuff that I had. Like he couldn't make a move or know how to transition or make anything happen. So then he was like, screw it. If that stupid, lanky ass, <laughs> fucking pale, <laughs> fucking Eric could do this. I could do this. And so he just set out and started just having millions and millions of conversations with women and just created his own system that had nothing to, because he didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. So it had nothing to do with mystery method, it had nothing to do with any of that stuff, mm-hmm. nothing to do with, you know, select the target and any of this, any of this yeah. shit. Yeah. And the place that he was coming from was where I think a lot of great comedy comes from, right? So great comedy is not like if you stand up on stage as a comedian and go, and try and prove to the audience how cool you are. <laughs> no one likes They're going to fucking destroy you. Yeah. Right? And that's something that the late, great Norm Macdonald actually said, who I loved so, so much. He made the point, like, he's like, some comedians sort of want to try and show you that they're clever. Right? And he was a very intelligent guy. Like, really intelligent guy. He was like, yeah, some people like Bill Maher or whatever, they're trying to, like, prove to you how smart they are. But he's like, for me, I always knew I had the kind of a weird voice. Mm. So I would play it up and act like I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> And that gets the audience on your side, yeah. right? Instead of trying to prove to them that you're a fucking know-it-all. Nobody likes that, mm-hmm. right? Believe me, I know. I was a science nerd at the front of the class. <laughs> and all of my sentences with people started with, well, technically. Oh my- <laughs> and nobody wanted fucking liked me. So I know. Yeah. And so, so the place that this guy was coming from was the exact opposite of all the mystery method stuff. He was going out during the daytime because he doesn't drink alcohol. He doesn't mm. like clubs. And he was starting conversations. And the place that he was coming from was just 
owning yourself. Good comedians, right? They start and they'll do that thing, right? Very often mm -hmm. you stand up, especially like the, when you're developing your first five minutes, you stand up and you know the audience is looking at you and they're already making judgments about like what you look like and who yeah. you are and all the stuff. So rather than trying to fight that, you acknowledge it mm -hmm. and you go, yeah, looking at me, you might be thinking, Ed Sheeran lost a lot of weight, <laughs> right? And immediately they're like, oh, he gets it. And it's about like accepting who you are mm -hmm. and what you look like mm -hmm. and being able to make light of that to show that you're cool with yourself. Yeah. And when you're able to do that, you're on the right foot and the audience is now on your side and they want to help you make them laugh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And that's the place that he was coming from. So he would just start out and be like, hey, this is me and this is why I'm here and I just wanted to meet you and I don't know. And just developed a system on the basis of uh, radical, authentic self-expression. That's mm. what I call it. And so I was very blessed to learn from him in that time in that you know mid-2010s when this big community was going on. He now has gotten out of it. He just does comedy videos and other stuff like that. Mm. But I was very grateful to be able to learn from him. And there's a couple of things. There's the radical self-expression piece. But I think the, the thing that stops, certainly, I would say, the type of guy that, that I used to be and the type of guy that I serve a lot, that very analytical, sort of logical guy, they're often in like tech engineering, mm -hmm. and software engineering, that kind of thing. And they spend their whole, whole life pretty much kind of doing well in school, following the rules, getting an A star or whatever it is. And this very like plan ahead you know, make sure everything's all lined up, like have a logical reason for everything and everything makes sense. This way of thinking that serves them well in school and in their job is completely inapplicable to social interaction. Yeah. Right. You cannot plan ahead for like, oh, if I say this and then she says that, then I'll say this and then she'll say that and then I'll say this and then she'll say that. You can't do that. Yeah, it's not chess. You can't do that. You have to be okay with the uncertainty that you don't necessarily know how someone's going to react to you or mm -hmm. what they're going to say. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to be present in the moment. And what stops that is this ego, right? Is this little thing that I term it's a mind program, essentially, that is designed to protect us. So it's designed as a way to make sure that you are uh, gaining validation and approval and acceptance from your tribe around you and that your tribe around you isn't judging you negatively because you're breaking the social rules of the tribe. Mm -hmm. The social rules of the tribe kept us literally surviving, mm -hmm. right? If you decided like, oh, I'm just going to hunt a buffalo for myself, but I'm not going to give any food to anybody else, then you're literally threatening everybody's survival just because you're being a, a greedy piece of shit. Yeah. So the punishment for being judged negatively by the tribe was being cast out, being ostracized, mm -hmm. the oldest written down punishment in law. Mm -hmm. And if you get cast out of the tribe, that you're very, very likely to die. So to our genetics, to this ego program, being judged negatively by the people around you equals death. Mm -hmm. And so this is the fear, not just of like a guy approaching a woman. This is the fear. This ego created fear is the thing that stops most people from doing whatever it is that they want to do in life. Right. It's like, you know, you have someone who like wants to start a business or whatever. And they're like, oh, I want to learn about online entrepreneurship or whatever it is. It's like, cool. And then they learn all these techniques and learn all these things like you're going to do the social media post like this. And they're like, OK, cool. Yeah, I got it. And then it's like, right now you're going to post this publicly on your Facebook profile to get people to know about your business. And they're like, <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. And they won't do it. Yeah. Like most people won't do it. Why? Because they're worried about their friends from high school that they're still friends on Facebook with mm -hmm. being like, ah, stupid. <laughs>
They're worried about being judged negatively. And so they don't go for what they actually want. So this became a huge thing, right? The guys at Simple Pickup, Jesse Josh, forgetting the other guy's name, but basically me and this comedian guy and uh, another guy, Marcus, who's great, yourcharismacoach.com, developed these exercises. They're basically like little mini social experiments mm -hmm. that had at their root a little bit of humor, but also what they were doing very profoundly was each experience when you did it was proving, was chipping away a little bit of that ego because it was proving that even if somebody might judge you negatively, nothing bad happens. You don't die. Yeah. Right. And you start to create what's called social freedom. Right. Now there's like hundreds of YouTube channels of like social experiment, like picking up a girl with a like gold digger prank, like picking up a girl with a Ferrari, like all these things. Right. It all came from uh, these guys, simple pickup. And they wrote us an email like years ago, but they're like, thanks so much for inspiring us to start doing this. Mm -hmm. Basically like these two core things is getting to a place of social freedom, like getting over this false notion that what other people think of you matters at all, mm -hmm. right? So that you have the social freedom to then start taking action. And then there's a pattern of language. There's a pattern, sort of an order, where if you say things in that kind of order, then it has the best effect to land the best possible way, right? So like in an email or whatever, or on a sales page, right? There's a certain order and a structure where like if you put a headline there and then you do a little story and then you talk about the product, do it in a certain order, it has the best possible chance of landing with the person who's reading it. Mm -hmm. But by filling in that structure with your own words, you then make it authentic and genuine to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once you're in the place of social freedom, then you can start to express yourself in this authentic way without being held back by this idea. It's like, oh, I have to pretend to be somebody else and then I can get this person to like me. And it's more about like, well, this is who I am. And let's see if this person resonates with that. Yeah. And if they do, awesome. Let's continue the interaction. And if they don't, that's totally cool. Thank you for saving me time. Literally, I'm like, thank you for rejecting me like quickly so that I can now invest my energy in somebody else who might resonate with me. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like to me, it's, it stops becoming a zero sum game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like most guys are thinking about it in a, in a very zero sum game way. It's like either it goes well and she likes me and I get a number and we go a day or whatever, but like oh, she'll probably ghost me and then like whatever, right? So it's like very minimal, like maybe I'll get a phone number, but probably not. Or I'll die. <laughs> Zero to 100. It's like, well, why even do that? And so, so many guys, like literally half of Japan, age 18 to 35 has never been on a date. Yeah, it's crazy. Guys are just giving up because they're like, well, what's, if that's your game theory, like why? Yeah, yeah. Whereas now we, I kind of shift it where it's like, once you realize like nothing bad happens, so there's no real downside, like you're not going to die at all, then either it goes well, right? You get a phone number, you make a connection, you go on a date, something happens, mm -hmm. or it'll be fucking hilarious. Yeah, that's true. It's win-win. Yeah, you get a great story out of it, worst case scenario. It's win-win, because the worst rejections are always the ones that you tell that story of how, oh man, she hated me, it was amazing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Like every time. 100%. I mean, I literally told my worst date story on stage last week. People loved it. So That's yeah. Great. Yeah. So I love that you talked about the fact that like the whole theory is really rooted in acceptance and like owning who you are, because I feel like there's a fine balance between going too far and overcorrecting and being like self deprecating, because I feel like that actually doesn't display confidence. It displays like, I don't know. It's kind of like you're not self-assured versus it sounds like what you are kind of preaching to your clientele is like, yeah, I mean, you don't have to pretend that you're like hot shit. Like you are going to acknowledge that you have flaws, but like do it in a way that shows that you're confident in who you are. 
And I guess, you know, obviously a large part of your teachings are rooted in the fact that you kind of have to reframe the way people think about the worst possible case scenario. But how do you also go about reframing their confidence and building up that confidence if it has never really been there to begin with at the same time? Yeah. So what I say is, is that confidence is not required. Start the course, Mm -hmm. do the course, get great success from the course. (laughs) Confidence essentially gets built over time through repeated action. There's no shortcut to it. And my important thing that I say is you don't need to be confident in order to have an interaction with a woman and and potentially have her be interested in in seeing you again. Mm -hmm. You don't. Right. Like one of my favorite things to do, I'll go through a structure that involves like a a few different things and and a few different language patterns or whatever. And then I'll often give an example where it's like you could implement this and stumble over a lot of your words and be very bumbling. And in fact, I've intentionally like gone overboard and done this and like tested it because after a while, like I had this down so much and I was going out a lot and I was meeting a lot of girls. And then my reaction started to get less good. Like mm-hmm. I started to get reactions where she'd be like, what's going on? And like, and do this thing. She's like, is there like a hidden camera or did someone put you up to this? Or is this some kind of like trick? Right. Wow. And I was like, Hmm, that's not good. And then I realized I was too smooth. Mm. Like I had my thing down so much that it didn't come off as like genuine. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, and I'm going to go the other way. And this is one of my favorite principles or whatever. It's like, Whenever a guy is like, oh, I have some fear or whatever about doing this wrong, like I have to do this at the right time. I'm like, cool, see what it looks like to do it at totally the wrong time. Mm. Right? Yeah. Like do the worst, most terrible, stupidest, like what's the stupidest pickup line that you could ever, right? Mm. Let's go do that. Mm-hmm. Right? And by having fun with the worst thing, it's like, oh, well, that wasn't so bad. And then you can calibrate mm. what the best is, right? Interesting. So I was like, cool, I'm going to use the same structure, right? Because it's the structure that makes it land. But now I'm going to fill in my own words and make it just like that Hugh Grant sort of like, I'm just terribly sorry. And I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, I'm so embarrassed. But I just saw you. And I was like, oh, my God. And now I don't know what I'm doing. So, I'm so sorry. Hi, I'm Ryan. Right. Mm-hmm. Like literally completely bumbling, whatever. And then they were like, oh, my God, that's so sweet. <laughs> right. Like that's to me, it's being able to create a moment that's in like, yeah, like a Hugh Grant film or like a romantic comedy or like a romantic book. Right. Where it's like what that this is not necessarily the words they're saying but the energy you're giving off and the vibe you're creating it is like i don't usually do this kind of thing like i'm just a regular guy like i'm not some kind of like you know sleazy going around like picking up chicks person at all but i just saw you and there was something about you that just i just was compelled to come and i just had to meet you and just express this to you mm-hmm. like i have no agenda other than i just wanted to express how i was feeling to you yeah and if this is conducive to you in some way that you want to continue this interaction. Awesome. And if not, totally get it. Yeah. Right. That, you know, in so many words to me is for the type of girl for whom you are their 10, she'll be like, Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And if she needs, if you're that type of guy, which I am right. If she needs you to be like the super smooth James Bond and your whatever, well, that's not me. So that's, that's fine. True. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because it is like, okay, yeah, you have to figure out what works for you. So like for you, it was Hugh Grant, but for someone else, it might be like a different, I don't know, male rom-com lead approach. And the whole like, oh, I never do this. This is something that I was just compelled to do when I saw you. 
That's interesting because I've like had guys say some iteration of that to me. If like, I just had to come talk to you and like, that feels really nice. But I feel like there's always a level of skepticism around the like, oh, I never do this because I'm like, do you never do this? Like, it's so charming. But what if you are really just trying to get your reps in to like gain that confidence and like just become more comfortable approaching women? Yeah, that's why I I say to my students, you can use the phrase, I never normally do this kind of thing. I obviously can't because it's disingenuous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right? I don't say that. All right, I'll say something else. But the point is, again, there's the structure and that's what it comes down to, right? Mm -hmm. Filling in your own words with your personality and your sense of humor Mm -hmm. and the situation and what you like about the girl so that it comes off in that genuine way. Yeah. Right? That's the point. And I actually had an experience, a a friend and student of mine, I was helping them through some stuff. He He was pretty good. And we did a day's coaching together. And then towards the end of the day, he spoke to this beautiful, beautiful girl, blonde, and they had a great conversation. He got a number, he ended up dating her for a while. And then he told me later, he went up to her and used some of the the structure, whatever. And she actually said to him, like, on their second or third date or something, it's like, you know, when we met, (laughs) I'd heard almost the exact same phrase five times earlier that day. Oh my gosh. But when you said it, it felt genuine. Hmm. Interesting. Because think about it. It's like, if you're at a bar, how many times do you hear like, can I buy you a drink? Yeah. Yeah. Right. The words get repeated a lot, but like, if you like the person, mm-hmm. then you'll yeah. be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. We kind of talked about the clientele who typically, you know, uses your services. It's like the guy who is like maybe the Silicon Valley guy to what you iterated earlier and like great guys, but just don't have that comfortability talking to women. And so I would love to hear like, when these people come to you, do you feel like they're traditionally saying, I want a girlfriend? Or are they like, I have women who are interested in me, but like, I'm looking for a different type of woman? In general, it tends to be mainly guys who just want that, you know, that cute girlfriend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're just, they really, really struggle. Like a lot of their, a lot of their life is going well. Like they go to the gym, they take care of themselves. They're listening to like podcasts and stuff and learning things all the time. And, you know, they've got a good career and, and everything. Everything's all there. And they're like, I'm a good guy. And I'm the type of guy that women say that they want. Mm-hmm. But the few female friends or whatever, or female coworkers are like, oh, you'd be such a great catch. But like, not for me, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what do I have to do here? Mm-hmm. I'd say that's about 60 to 80%. And then the other like 20% or so is guys who are like me never had that experience usually like around college in your 20s or whatever you have that kind of like like you mentioned like hookup culture or whatever like that was a time that was completely foreign to me because mm-hmm. i spent the whole of university you know with one girlfriend so college was for me like one big party i wasn't invited to mm-hmm. and so they just missed out on that so for right now they're not necessarily like looking to settle down they just want to experience that abundance and that choice of like having quality options and going on a lot of different dates and experiencing a lot of different things because they just, they missed out on it. They never had it. So how does your advice, if at all, does it differ for the men who are like, oh yeah, I'm ready to settle down. I'm ready to have a girlfriend versus the men who are like, oh, I just might want to have some fun. Maybe I'm looking for something more casual until I am ready to settle down. The process itself is pretty much identical. And what I say to the guys who, who are kind of ready to settle down is the best place to come from before deciding the person that you want to settle down with is to come from a place of abundance and quality options and choice, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people in general, not just men, but a lot of people end up being in a relationship where 
they're coming from a place of scarcity. Mm -hmm. And so they'll stay in that relationship and tolerate behavior that they maybe shouldn't tolerate because they're like, well, I need to like maintain this. I need to keep this because otherwise I'll be alone. Mm, yeah. Right. And then I don't know how long it's going to be before I find somebody else. So I'd rather have the safety and certainty of the thing I know, even though it's not so great versus the unknown of like, maybe I'll never meet anybody ever again. Yeah. Right. So it's much better to be in a place where you're dating non-exclusively and ethically. And that's something I go through, right? It's like, it's not about cheating on people and lying. And, oh, yeah. you're my only one when you're yeah. not. Yeah. But in an open, clear way, exploring at least a few options so that when you decide, right? Because I know for sure, like my girlfriend, I have a very clear that we both do have very clear standards of things and things that are important to us in the other person and stuff like that. So it's like, I've experienced a lot of quality. I know I'm choosing the person that has everything that I've ever wanted, even though we could spend time with plenty of other people. We're both willingly choosing to be with each other because we have everything that, that we're looking for. And I think that's important. The only way you can know that for sure, right, is by having at least some options. So the path to whether you want to settle down or do that is the same. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like to your point, scarcity mindset really leads people to make some horrible, horrible decisions. And that's a perfect transition because I definitely wanted to talk about your journey a little bit more in terms of like backtracking kind of, because you talked about, you know, when you were in this pickup artist community, and then you reached this point where like, it was all of a sudden not working for you. It kind of reminded me of like the uncanny Valley, but for like pickup artistry, where it's like, oh, it's like too good. Like with animation for anyone who doesn't know, it's like if animation becomes too realistic, people are like weirded out by it. So it's like your mm -hmm. tactics were too smooth. And so people are like, something is off here and it's not resonating for me. So what was your transition from being this really smooth person who had these tactics down to then kind of taking a step back, honing your craft, and then eventually meeting your girlfriend? So yeah, to backtrack even more. So basically, the P all the POA stuff didn't work for like three years. And then at all, like it wasn't that it was smooth or whatever. It was just me tr like going out Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, mm -hmm. trying all of this material and like staying in this comfort zone of like, I'm starting conversations and I'm like being entertaining mm -hmm. and girls are smiling. So it's like, cool, <laughs> but it never went anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like nothing ever actually transpired. And the few phone numbers that I did get, I didn't even know what to do with because PUA guys were like, don't do dates. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do then. Don't do dates. <laughs> yeah. They say so much stupid shit. Oh my God. So it is really about like, yeah, like just take that girl home and then you never see her again. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's, and that's the thing. It's like, the vast majority of the guys who like teach this stuff are just like, they don't have like long-term relationships at all. It's like, there's one guy who's kind of buddy of mine and he brags about like, like how many women he slept with. And it's like, if you've been doing this this long and that's how many women you slept with, that means that you literally have never had like a relationship that lasts more than like a day. Yeah, That's showing like a serious mental disorder. There's either like after you sleep with them, they realize how weird you are and they don't <laughs> want to see you again. Or you're preemptively being like, I don't want her to find out who I really am. And then she might reject me or not want to be with me. So I'll preemptively do that by rejecting her first. That's which fascinating. Is what it sounds like to me a lot of the time. I've never thought about people who sleep around using it as a defense mechanism, possibly. It's a total defense mechanism. Wow. Yeah. After a while, like you find someone who awesome and you want to, that was always my thing anyway, is like, I'll tend to be in long-term relationships. Some of them will be sort of polyamorous ones, like open ones. I'll have one 
primary girlfriend for an extended period of time and then a bunch of secondary ones or whatever. But like in general, the women I go on dates with and end up sleeping together, like they want to see me again. Like they want to be my girlfriend. Like if that's not happening, then like you need to look at like, do you actually have a life and a personality and some, Yeah. I don't get it. So I meet the comedian guy and then learn his other way, mm-hmm. like the opposite way and start going out and spending time during the day in cafes and, and stores and malls or whatever, just like talking normally to people. And it just instantly very, very quickly clicked. I got over that ego stuff. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, oh, hey, this is me. And then girls were like, huh? And I was like, oh, this is so much easier. Like, <laughs> I don't have to think of a line. Because that was my thing, like, as I was going into it. Yeah. And it was all on forums and stuff. And I was like, on one forum, I was like, well, guys, there was a time before Mystery Method, right? <laughs> and guys still managed to, you know, see with women, right? As far as I can recall. And so yeah. surely there's a way where you can, like, meet a girl and, like, talk to her and like go on a date with her that doesn't involve like having to make up some weird lie. Like, <laughs> isn't there a way where you can just like express something that's true? Like, is that, and they were like, no, that's, this is the only way. <laughs> I was like, Insane. <laughs> but, but yeah. So then I found this thing. I was like, Oh, I can actually express me. Mm-hmm. And then women seem to like it a lot. It was like, Oh, cool. All right. Mm-hmm. And then it just became very easy. Cause before there's all these steps and you have to do all the steps. Right. And it's like one thing is like in attraction phase, it's like, so you're doing these things to a point where you have to wait for three signs of indicators of interest or IOIs. Oh. So like the girl's like playing with her hair or, you know, stuff like that. Right. Mm. So it's like, again, there's you have guys in their head is like doing the things and then seeing, is it working? Is she playing with her hair? <laughs> and then when they get three, then you're allowed to move to the next phase or whatever. Oh my gosh. And so you're so in your head. Right. And then I was like, oh shit, I can just go up and start this conversation. And then now I can just be in the moment and just say whatever comes to mind. Because they like me for who I am. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what do I say? Just more things of that's you. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then it's like, when I'm on a date, what do I say? What do I talk about? You know, myself and ask her questions and just, I could just say whatever I felt in the moment. I didn't need to think or worry about it. Mm-hmm. And so all this excess mental capacity that was going into like worrying about saying the wrong thing and fucking it up, just dispense with that. Mm-hmm. And I could just focus on, that's a huge thing that, that I think differentiates my stuff and is a, a thing I'll die on this hill or whatever. All these guys are talking about, hey, you need status, you need this stuff, you need to have six-pack abs, you need to be a billionaire, you need to fucking have a 10-inch cock or whatever. It's like, those things are all cool, but the one thing, more than any of that, like all of that's great, but what trumps all of that is the connection with another human being Mm -hmm. in the present moment. Yeah. If you have that, nothing else really matters. That's so So why not focus on being able to have that? I don't even own a car. Mm Mm-hmm. In LA, that's, that's a bold move. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we're in Santa Monica, so like, oh, I can, that's you know, nice. it's yeah. a very walkable. Yeah, yeah. So it became easy. Like, I didn't have to think about it anymore. I could just mm-hmm. go start conversations here and there. And then those conversations would turn into dates. Those dates would turn into relationships. Before I knew it, I had like five girlfriends that I was seeing at the same time. And I was like, oh, that's about as much time as I have. <laughs> so I stopped seeing like all of my high school friends who were just like negative losers anyway. And I was like, oh, cool. I kind of guess I kind of figured this out. And I initially only went into it just to finally fix this problem. Mm -hmm. But then once I just got these insane results and just completely transformed my life, then I was like, oh, man, I just want more guys to know that this is possible. Mm -hmm. Like, right. Most guys coming from where I was, where I was literally I was going to give up. I wrote on a forum after three years, like nothing's working. So I guess I'm just too ugly Uh and too unattractive to ever make this work. And to come from that to where I was, I was like, I just want to tell more, more guys about this. This is possible. 
mm-hmm. that like literally fundamentally the only thing that was stopping me was my beliefs about myself that was it yeah right once i sh- was able to shift those through doing those experiences and other things then everything changed my first few jobs i was always trying to figure out like to me the amount of money that the paycheck was was like not important mm-hmm. it was like i want to feel like i'm doing some kind of good, like I'm helping. Yeah. I think it's like when you're young and you're a bit more sort of idealistic, I was like, I want to change the world, man. I want to <laughs> make it a better place, right? Yeah. And so I think a lot of people get misguided with that noble intention by being like, oh, we're going to make the world better by like making everybody do what we know is good, mm. which is always a recipe for <laughs> disaster yeah if that's inactive, like right dictatorships how those get started <laughs> exactly right so then i realized it's like you know what wouldn't it be like so profoundly fulfilling to be able to help a guy who was in where i used to be shortcut and not have to go through the three years of like self-doubt and and brutal rejections and suffering and feeling like shit and just get straight to the place that i'm at now and just help one guy at a time just have that transformation to me, that is actually changing the world because one person at a time, I'm enabling them to actually communicate better, to actually feel good about themselves, to actually present themselves in an awesome way, to actually create connections with people, make friendships, have amazing relationships. And then that just kind of ripples out. Mm-hmm. So there was a shift then that happened. A lot of people got very, right and rightly so, got very negative thinking, but a disgruntled, I guess, with the whole pickup artist community. So a lot of guys who tried a lot of the stuff and it didn't work for them. And so then they were like, oh, this, the whole thing is a scam, basically. Like, it's not real. The only thing that matters is like, looks, money, status was that thing. It's like, that's the only thing that matters. And like, no amount of techniques will ever do anything, which is obviously not true. But they created this like support group of disgruntled PUA failures, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, like pickup artists who are already, already pretty shitty. And then you have like the shitty ones of those that didn't make this work, yeah. right? So it's like an even lower level of incel. Yeah. And then they created this community called P-Way Hate, mm. which is basically just ragging on how all pickup artists are all scammers or whatever. And there was a guy called Elliot Roger, and he was on that side and active on it. And he did a video. This is the last video he ever did. And he was in his like nice BMW. And he was like, I just bought these shades. These shades are like Oakley's are like $600. I'm in this BMW and I have all this money or whatever. And I have this nice shirt and women aren't even interested in me. They won't oh even look God. at me. Like the whole, this whole thing is fucking bullshit and everything's unfair. The next day he went uh, to a gym with a gun and oh shot God. and killed five or six women and then turned oh, the gun on himself. Fuck. And I know I have complete certainty that if I'd been able to meet him and help him, those women would still be alive today, as would he. Yeah. And so it, for me, it's part of the mission to just completely end social anxiety, completely end this feeling of powerlessness and, and helplessness in men that causes the male suicide rate to be incredibly high, and just end this, this kind of this separation that we're all experiencing, especially over the last couple of years, where people just, they just don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to how to bridge that gap to just to just say hi to somebody else. And then it creates so many terrible consequences. So I want to do everything I can to empower people to be able to just connect with, with other human beings. That is really powerful because 
worst case scenario, it spirals and gets to a point that's just so toxic that it ends in tragedy, like the story that you just shared. That's awful. Well, I mean, and what's happening now, like we've already spent two years, basically a lot of us being forced to be inside or being prevented from really connecting from each other. And now it, we're being ushered into, oh, get into the metaverse. And it's like, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm the actual cast. universe is fucking awesome already. Mm-hmm. Social media companies or whatever, what they're doing is, and Tinder and an online dating, unfortunately, plays a part in this too, right? Is they're feeding us a fake synthetic dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin hit, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to almost substitute for the lack of actual real dopamine and serotonin from actual human contact, Yeah. right? You get a connection on Facebook and you get a like and you get a message. It's like the synthetic fast food version of, you feel sort of connected, but you're not. You're at home. You're not speaking to anybody. You're not interacting with anybody. There's no emotion there. And then like Tinder's like, oh yeah, like I'm, you know, meeting people. No, you're not. Yeah. You're not getting any experience with that social interaction. There's a writer, uh, Robert Nozick, who wrote a great book called Anarchy, State, and Utopia. And one of his examples, one of his thought experiments is you have a choice. You can either like do your best in the real world and exist and whatever. There's no chance necessarily of, of any particular success or whatever it is. Or you can be put into a vat and like basically into a metaverse, right, where you're hooked up and you'll live in a virtual reality where you'll have the amazing experiences and be like a billionaire and have all the sex you have ever wanted. Whatever it is that you want, you'll just have an amazing life. Mm-hmm. But your actual body will be in a vat and you won't actually be doing any of this. Yeah. Which one would p- most people choose? Like everybody always chooses. Like I'd rather have a real effect on the world, mm-hmm. even if it's not exactly what I want, versus a, a completely synthetic made up experience that's hitting all of my dopamine triggers. Yeah. And so I just like, yeah, I just see this this whole movement towards people on their devices and stuff. It's just moving us away from being able to connect with each other. And it's really worrying. So I kind of assumed this actually, just based on your practice and what you espouse to all of your clients. Do you kind of encourage people to stay away from dating apps and focus more on the in real life interaction? What I say is this is like, you should develop the skill to be able to connect with people in person. Mm-hmm. And the majority of your your time and effort and stuff like that should be in the real world. However, having a few decent profiles, I have a whole messaging system for it, you know, writing a good profile and et cetera, to have a, a bit extra coming in helps create that feeling of abundance and choice and, and stuff like that. That's not a bad thing. But what I tend to find is like even me, even in certain situations that I've been in or like experiments that I've done, when I'm purely 100% relying on online, even me, I start to feel that like scarcity mentality coming back. Yeah, interesting. Even me, I start to doubt myself. Because mm-hmm. like as a guy, again, like I'm no Brad Pitt over here, right? Like as a guy, you're going to have to be swiping a hell of a lot to get, you know, the average match rate is less than 1%. Wow. For like an average, unless, you're like, a, unless you're like a male model movie star looking. Right. That's a lot of swipes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're solely relying on that, it's a recipe to start to feel really shitty about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the most part. Absolutely. And I do think it's important to have both kind of like, I think it's very difficult for someone to totally remove themselves from online dating just in today's society. I'm not saying it's impossible. And I feel like there are so many people who meet a ton of people in real life. That's amazing. But I feel like to your point, having it just at least so that you can 
see what's out there, use it for more introductions. But at the end of the day, it really is that in-person interaction that like is going to help you. Cause even if you get the dates online, you still need to meet up with them at some point. And they're going to realize you're weird if you haven't honed that in. That's the whole thing. It's like, it's not online dating. It's just an introduction service, Yes. but you still have to know what to do when you meet them and how to have that conversation and how to get to know each other and how to connect and all the rest of it. Like you still have to know all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So you might as well be practicing and honing those skills in the real world. And then again, you can have online as like an extra way. So you can really feel that sense of like, oh, I have a lot of options. I have a lot of choice. Mm -hmm. Like, again, this is where men and women have very different mentalities and very different strategies, right? Women in general, like just naturally are in a state of abundance, right? For women, it's about like, how the fuck do I filter all of this dick out of my inbox <laughs> so I can find somebody who is actually like a quality guy that I'd want to be with? Yeah, yeah. Whereas guys, you know, the average guy is not in a place of abundance and choice really at all. Like the average guy is like scraping to just get just the one date. So the more I can get him into that, that sort of abundant state close to where a woman would be, the more he can also appreciate and understand a woman's perspective and also the, the less likely he will be to start engaging in those people-pleasing behaviors. Yeah. I was speaking to one student, like he did a little, one of my mini courses or whatever. I was speaking to him and he, and he was like, I set up a date for two weeks time with this girl I've been chatting to online for like months <laughs> and I'm going to be driving two and a half hours away. What? And I'm just like, why? Because that's literally his only option. He hasn't been on a date in months. He's desperate. This is the only person that will message him. So he's going to do that. So to just shift the guy out of that mindset. So it's like, I can actually be more of a chooser here. And so when they're arriving on the date, instead of being like, oh, I don't want to screw this up and say the wrong thing. So they're, they're just like agreeing with everything she's saying. Yeah. Right. They can actually fucking be themselves. Yeah. Scared money don't make money. Like without worrying like, well, if it doesn't, then cool. I can cut it short and I can text one of the other girls. That's where you want to be at to be able to actually have the, the social freedom to actually be who you are. And that, that's that paradox. The more you try to repress yourself so that the other person will like you, the less they'll like you. And the less you give a shit about what they think, the more they're like, you're so cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So well, like, where were you when you met your girlfriend? Because I know you mentioned like there was a time when you were like dating multiple women. And so were you kind of at a point where you're like, I have a lot of options. And then she was like, the one that stood out and made you want to settle down? Like, where were you at in your dating journey when you met? And how did you meet? So it's actually, it's a crazy story that we always tell. So I actually met her in 2014. Oh. She was living down right by the beach, just near Santa Monica Pier. And we actually met online. Wow. Plot enough. twist. I don't usually, it's a very, 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 very rare for me to meet a girl online. And we both since had our, it was okay Cupid. Mm. Do you remember that? Oh, I do. I do. Tinder, I, don't think, I don't think Tinder existed then. Yeah, I think Tinder was like brand new in 2014. And but we met on OkCupid okay and we both had our profiles deleted by OkCupid okay later. She gets her profile all the time because people don't, the whatever senses don't think that she's real. It's like, there's no way a girl is what? hot would be on a site like this, Okay, wait, basically. I have to ask, because I know you sent me like pictures and you're with like two women. Is she one of the women in the picture? I'm just like curious now. Yeah, yeah, she's the picture of, it's me and our friend Isabel and she's on my right. She's oh. the tall black one. Okay, I mean, she is beautiful. But yeah, like she's like a model and actress and also an Ivy League educated relationship therapist wow, as well. full package. Absolutely right. So we met in 2014 and I was in a bunch of 
relationships at that time. So I was still dating a lot of different women openly. We went on a few dates and hung out, you know, had a great time. And then I had to be traveling because I was here coaching a program. And then I needed to go to Vegas to coach another program. And so I was like, hey, I know it's, you know, we've had like three dates or something, but I need to go to Vegas. So you want to just come with me Mm. and just have an adventure? And she was like, no. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And so she didn't give any context. She just was just basically said no. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, I guess she doesn't really like me as much as I thought. Mm -hmm. So I took a different girl that I'd also been saying to Vegas and we had a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And then I continued on my US tour, whatever. And we kind of lost touch. Then the next year, we randomly bumped into each other. I was with one of the other girls that I was dating in London Mm -hmm. and we were traveling around. And so she kind of saw me, whatever. It was dark and I didn't, I wasn't sure if I really saw her. I was like, was that? But I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. But she tells a story like, like, I saw you and I was going to go to say hi. And you were like, Uh, oh my (laughs) gosh. I definitely don't remember that. Yeah. So then we uh, lost touch again for a bit. And then in 2019, so what, three years ago now. So I was here doing a therapy course by this guy, Brent, Mm. who was the therapist for Neil Strauss. During the process, after which he wrote his more recent book, The Truth, okay, where he denounces pickup artistry and was like, I had sex addicts and I had all these emotional issues and shit like that. Damn. And Brent was the guy that helped him through that that process. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky enough through a friend to be able to work with Brent. Mm-hmm. So I was here doing that, and my relationship in the UK, I was now monogamous with a girl who we were actually engaged to be married, mm-hmm. and that relationship was actually breaking up. I broke up with her. I found out she lied to me for her entire relationship about her age by a matter of a decade. What? Which, yeah. How did she pull that off? Oh my God. Considering, well, black don't crack. So that's how. Damn. (laughs) And so that was happening. So then we reconnected in 2019. And then, yeah. And then I came here in, in 2020 and we both had the same sort of philosophy on it. It's like, why delay things and wait around? Like, if you really feel that you want to be with someone, mm-hmm. it's like, don't artificially delay things. So we like basically just like moved in together and we're just like fairly quickly. Wow. <laughs> like very quickly. And then COVID kind of sped that along. Yeah, absolutely. Luckily, we are very, very happy spending time together and yeah, spent most of the last couple of years here, but also then traveling around a lot. Wow. Um, Miami, Austin, New Orleans. And uh, London a lot. We're both British American as well. Oh. So that was a, a weird thing. Yeah, we were both born here. She grew up between London and Africa until 12 and then came back to Rhode Island and went to Brown. Wow. What an amazing story. Like such a whirlwind. Yeah. <laughs> that is so fascinating. And I feel like just hearing your whole story, hearing the evolution of your approach to dating, I'm sure that people will want to know, okay, like how can I learn more from this guy? How can I get in touch with him? So for the listeners, can you plug where people can find you and your services? Yeah, it's very easy. So just go to ryanblack.us. Perfect. And everything's there. There's a few kind of free things. There's some blog posts. There's a free thing, which is actually like a a messaging thing just to get started with. So again, I don't recommend relying on on online, obviously, but it's a good, useful way to just get started with something. And there's a few other free resources and things like that on there. So yeah, just, just browse around that. I'm also on Facebook, if people still use that. (laughs) I'm sure some people do. (laughs) Everyone, a lot of people are leaving, I think. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Moving to TikTok. I've tried to delete mine. And then someone was like, you realize it's not deleted. Like I searched for you the other day and you're still there. So they make it really hard to actually leave for good. (laughs) 
yeah, they want to keep all your data and sell it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm also on Instagram. So I'm like, okay, they, they have it. So yeah. Well, I guess that's a great transition into where you can find me. Don't look for me on Facebook, but you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at interstates and heartbreak all spelled out. And you can find my personal account at Leslie Nope, L-E-S-L-I-E-G-N-O-P-E. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your journey. This was fascinating and such a great discussion. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.